We have two more weeks in Jonah, and then we're going to hear from you. So I am serious. We have this series coming up this summer called Underlinings. And if you have anything to add to it, you need to get it in this week. I've filled out most of the summer. I've got a few more slots. There are a lot of people still that have committed different things to me. And so if you would like one of your favorite underlinings from a book, from a movie, from a song, uh, submit it, give, us a, give me a little bit of context, and uh, we'll see if we can include that this summer. And uh, there's some fun ones, by the way. Some of you are different <laughs> kinds of people. And some of my favorite underlinings from books and things. So in Jonah, <clears throat> here we are at the, in the fourth chapter of Jonah. First few verses of it. So, at the end of the third chapter, remember that um, Nineveh decided to believe Jonah, and actually they, they went into a time of, of mourning and repentance, and they, uh, the king said, who knows, maybe God, God may relent and change his mind. Maybe... God will turn away from anger that we might not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they had turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind. I asked my daughter last week, who, who now is a, has a PhD in systematic theology, I said, so so does God change God's mind? And she said, I think we need to rethink what we believe about God. And I thought, spoken like a theologian. And, uh, and I appreciated it. She actually, I'll get to it a little later in the sermon. Hear, the, hear John 4. But this was very displeasing to Jonah. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country. That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. And now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Pray with me. God, I have a thousand ways to justify my anger. But you ask me the fundamental question, is it right for me to be angry at what you do? Teach me. Amen. Brian McLaren wrote a book some time ago, uh, not too many years ago, called um, More Ready Than You Realize. And it asks the question, why is it that the most angry people I see, this is McLaren, seem to be Christians? 
It's a question for me that comes at me constantly. Why is it that when I see Christian people, their faces are screwed up in anger, they are ugly representations of human beings, yelling and shouting, and oftentimes the most eager to condemn, the most eager to blame, and the most eager to dispense a dose of venom. In his book, he writes about a conversation he had with a young man named Dan. I asked Dan, where are you these days in relationship with God? Dan replied, Mr. McLaren, coming to church has really helped me. All I really want now is to learn the ways of Christ. I remember thinking, ways of Christ, that's a great way of saying it. And then he continued, but one thing I hope I never become, a born again. I asked him why that was. And he answered, a friend of ours at school became a born again. She used to be a really nice person. But now she's always judging everybody and she's pushed away all of her friends. It's like either they have to convert or she doesn't want them as a friend. So I want to keep learning the ways of Christ, but I don't want to be born again. And then McLaren writes, I wonder how many people are out there like Dan who, liked, who would like to become Christians and them into worse people, not better. That is, less tolerant and loving, less forgiving, less open, less friendly, less honest, less authentic, less human, and less humble. This morning, on the front page of the LA Times, read it. There's an article about Biola University and the turmoil at the campus and the challenges that they're going through and how divided they are as a population of people, both in terms of their faculty and the, peop- the students that are coming and how many people are defining evangelicalism as a hateful part of our faith. It's what people see in Jonah that they don't want to become. Jonah is an example of what Dan's talking about. Jonah's an example of the problem, not the solution. What's Jonah's anger all about? Well, in family systems theory, this is something that takes place often. And if we think about it, um, Friedman's the person that, that applied family systems to organizations like church and synagogue and other things like that. And in, in that, we talk about the family as a system. And oftentimes in dysfunctional families, families that are not working really well, families that... that um, you know, just seem to not uh, be able to stand each other or people that they get along, but they have to do so many things to make it work that they're working overtime just to keep an equilibrium in the household. And churches are like that. Organizations are like that. Um, my home was like that growing up in an alcoholic household 
my, my mother and the kids, we all did different things to keep the dysfunction going so my dad's anger wouldn't show up. Family systems theory goes something like this. Um, the system's going along and it's got an equilibrium. It quote-unquote works because it keeps everybody in their place and happy. And then one person decides they're not going to go along with the dysfunction. And when that happens, it's an aha moment for them. Those of you that know 12-step programs, you know that when somebody starts to get healthy, all the relationships shift, don't they? People that knew you or know you as an alcoholic, they look at you and they go, what, what's this? And they get angry with you. Why? Because they're showing you the way out and you feel you're doing nothing wrong. A member of the group has an aha moment. There's a revelation, a breakthrough takes place and the intent on living healthier starts. My mom was the enabler in the household. And she had to do what? Stop. She divorced my dad. Said, I just can't live here in this. I can't keep cleaning up the mess. Often those who are still stuck in their unhealthy behavior blame others or get angry and emotional or they get physically angry or emotionally angry with the one who's changing. Why? Because they see it as a threat. Nineveh does what? Trust God. And all eyes shift to Jonah and say, what about you? And he becomes angry. Jonah objects not to his own hardness of heart, but objects to God's response, which is goodness and mercy and love. What about God is threatening to Jonah? God is gracious. Jonah is more committed to his position and his beliefs than to the heart of God. Because he's placed his understanding of God above who God really is. Our understanding of God is what, says the psalmist? Almost minuscule. How much greater are God's thoughts than our thoughts? How much bigger are God's ways than our ways? And you and I will never get it right when we try to represent God instead of letting God represent God's self. We can be just like Jonah, placing our issues above relationships. We do it all the time. The things we're passionate about above the people we should be most passionate towards. What else about God is threatening? Well, God's merciful. The root of the word mercy uh, comes from a, a, the Hebrew term for womb. It can mean motherly affection 
It can mean uh, parental care and love. And uh, it can be seen in Jesus' story of the waiting father as he welcomes home the son, the youngest son, back into his midst. So you get this really fascinating story about this mercy of God that the father doesn't shame his son, the father doesn't read him the riot act, the, the father shows mercy. Mercy. No reminder of past events. Simply welcome home. What about God is threatening to Jonah? Well, Jonah says, you're slow to anger. The opposite of anger, and, and that would be long-suffering, patience, forbearance, waiting, withholding judgment. God is slow to anger. God refuses to grant Jonah's wish to kill him right there on the spot. I'd rather die than be wrong, said Jonah. And God could have accommodated him. But God doesn't blame Jonah. In fact, God is hoping that Jonah will have an aha moment and rejoice in the things that God rejoices in. Jonah, at this point, is the perfect older brother isn't he? He perfects what the older brother represents. There's two ways of being prodigal. One is to squander what you've been given in loose living, as the story says. The other is to withhold mercy. Simply withhold grace and mercy, and you're a prodigal. But you're the prodigal older brother. What aha moment is God waiting for you to have? What dysfunction do you bring here to your household, to other relationships? What are the things you hold on to so closely that you hold them above the passion and friendship and love of others? Jonah says that God is love. I know you're a loving God. And love comes from the word hesed, or it means steadfast love. It's the pledged love of parents, of spouses, of friendship, of church membership. It's the pledged love of the will. It truly is that moment where I choose to commit to you in a loving way. God's love for God's faithless children will not fail. Here's the story of Jonah. Just kill me. And God won't have anything to do with it. You see, it's God's character, not God's rules, that matter. It's God's character, not 
God's rules that matter most. And then God repents. That's what it means to change one's mind. The New Testament, the, the, the term repent literally means, to, we, we know this for the New Testament, it can mean to change one's mind or to turn around. And God does that. And I keep thinking about that. Well, doesn't that make God inconsistent? And my daughter's words echo in my head. We need to change what we believe about God. Because this instance confronts me and says, oh, I don't, I don't serve a wishy-washy God. But then I look at this and go, this is consistent with the very character of God. God wishes and desires for the children to turn and face their parent. In other words, God is completely free, free to act as God chooses. Jonah would rather die a slave to his own position rather than enter into God's compassion. We get that. It's emblematic of God's people, of Israel itself. And I'm afraid it's emblematic of the church, not just this congregation, but of all congregations. That we would have rather remained slaves around the flesh pots in Egypt than to come out into the wilderness and be free people. As one friend noted when preaching on this Kirku pastor's canvas church in Irvine, um, was preaching on this at an ordination uh, service that I attended. And he said, We'd rather have garlics and leaves. Garlics and leeks, sorry, and be slaves to people that wanted to kill our children than to be free. I can make a parenthetical comment here. We want to preserve our right to own guns and others that shouldn't have them we would rather be slaves to that than to be free and see our children live. It's that clear, friends. It's that stark. I know what you're like, God, says Jonah. And contrast this with the king of Nineveh. He says, who knows? (laughs) Maybe God will relent and change his mind. Jonah is so sure that he knows exactly what God is like. And the king in Nineveh goes, who knows? Maybe this God will relent and we won't perish. Who knows? Maybe God isn't what we always imagine. It's not doubt. It's not being soft about what we believe about God. It is surrender. 
of all our notions that try to box God in and it's surrender to the God who will do whatever God wants. And that's what it means to have faith. That I will submit to this God no matter what. Because God's ways are higher than mine. God's thoughts are different from mine. And my preconceptions of God in the title of that little book from decades ago, Your God is Too Small. Friends, our God is too small because we don't trust this God to take care of us above all other things. In Lewis's little book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Eustace, one of the children that gets in, um, has had an experience with um, uh, has, was Aslan, the great lion, the great Christ figure in the book. And Edmund, one of the other children, has been there before, and Eustace was just coming, he's, and Eustace is trying to tell a story about this encounter with this lion. And, and he says to Edmund, do you do you know Asland? And Edmund responds this way. Well, to be perfectly honest, Aslan knows me. There's a great difference between saying, I know, and God knows. It's night and day. One is self-centered, self-serving, indulgent. The other is surrender. Is it right for you to be angry when others get healthy? When you are exposed for holding your position or your issue tighter than your love for your neighbor or your friend or your sister or your brother. Tighter than you hold to the character of Jesus. Let go. Let God. Pray with me. It is scary, God to think you might take me places I don't want to go. That you might ask me to change my mind about people and things and issues that I hold so dear and close as though they define me and be completely defined by you. In you is life. May we find our life in you by, all, by letting go of all that we hold on to apart from you. In Jesus' name, amen.